0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly, and I'm Kristen. Kristen, it's summer. It's yes. vacation time. The high today is in the nineties, Molly. Yeah. It's, it's in the nineties. It's summer and I know that you are headed off for the beach.
0: Yes, I am to shortly
1: boil a playa tomorrow. But the thing I also know about you, thanks to doing this podcast mm-hmm. is the number one piece of advice you got from your mother.
0: Always wear sunscreen. Oh yeah. My mom is a huge proponent of sunscreen use.
1: So I just gotta, I gotta say, you know, maybe you're not going to talk to your mom today before your beach trip. And I just want to say your mom is going to tell you, your mom, if I may speak for her, says wear sunscreen when, when you're at the beach this weekend. Are you going to do this? I'm
0: going to wear sunscreen. Yes. Otherwise I will burn to a crisp. I have red undertones, and I, instead of browning easily, I redden really mm. quickly. So I don't want to sunburn. Right. But I got a few days on the beach. I'm not going to lie. Okay. I want it to come back a little bit darker. I would like
1: a summer tan. You would like a tan? Yeah. Well, today, Kristen, we are going to talk about why you might want this tan, because... If I may pretend to be a dermatologist for a moment. I like all this role playing that's going on. (laughs) First I'm Kristen's mom, now a dermatologist. (laughs) If I were were a dermatologist, I would tell you there's no such thing as just a summer tan, a healthy tan. That is a contradiction in terms. Once your skin changes color, you're damaging your skin, you're at risk for skin cancer, melanoma, a whole host of things. This is not going to be a surprise to anyone. How many times have we heard wear your sunscreen, or face the consequences. And yet still you, Kristen. I know. As I know you to be a very intelligent, <sighs> logical woman, you want the tan. And I don't I think do. you're alone in that. So that's how we're going to look at why do we want these tans? Why do we continue to tan even if we know it's bad for us? Basically, we want to put a lot of nuggets in your head that might just ruin your
0: summer vacation. <laughs> exactly. Or just make it a little shadier. <laughs> uh, I think it's pretty well known that Being pale used to be in vogue uh, before the Industrial Revolution because it was a sign of wealth. If you were pale, that meant that you were living a life of leisure indoors instead of toiling out in the fields. But then with the Industrial Revolution... Everything moves indoors away from the sun. So the workers are in these dank factories. Yeah. And so the wealthy people go outside and it starts to,
1: to be uh, featured in fashion magazines, mm-hmm. uh, in health journals. But let's talk about one favorite fun fact about the pale rich before we move on, Kristen. Yes. Cause this goes back for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. This is a very much a, a 20th century development that the tan is fashionable and um, a sign of health because What we've got before uh, those workers moved back inside and the rich started going outside Mm -hmm. for leisure activities was rich women, to ensure that that paleness would would be their defining feature, used to paint their skin with these lead-based and toxic paints Mm -hmm. so that they would stay really white. And so I think it's kind of funny that now tanning, we hear it's so dangerous, but even the alternative being really pale was dangerous for these women because they would take these really toxic paints and shocks and paint their faces really, really white. And then favorite detail of that is they would take blue, little blue paints and paint blue lines to be their veins Mm -hmm. to demonstrate their blue
0: blood. Right. The phrase blue blood comes from Spanish and it refers to the translucent porcelain skin of a Castilian princess. I want Everyone listening to this, to please tell someone that fact. That is my favorite fact. <laughs> when you're lying week. on the beach, Kristen, oh. wearing
1: or wearing not your sunscreen, <laughs> you can you can throw that out. Yes. All right. So we've talked about how that's, you know, the, the pale skins in fashion. Then when the workers are inside and the people can go outside, that's when the fashion starts to shift. And at the same time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: scientists and doctors are making major advances in the world of health and sun's
0: role in yeah, there's always been this notion that the sun is in- good for you in some mm-hmm. way. Even going back to Hippocrates, there, people identified some some benefits of being out in the sunlight. And not surprisingly, it feels great to be in the sun. It warms you up. It may or may not release endorphins, which we'll get to later. But uh, one man you've probably heard of before, Mr. John Harvey Kellogg mm-hmm. of Cornflake, Fame, uh, actually invented sort of a, an antique sunbed in 1891. Yeah. We start fake baking in 1891. All right. Because he thinks that it would cure gout and certain skin conditions, including eczema.
1: And he's a pretty good marketer. He, yeah. Obviously, we, we've heard his name. So he sends them off to like Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle so that the British royals get really in on the act. Um, and then just a few years later, we have, uh, Probably the sun's biggest year ever.
0: Yeah, 1903. 1903. The year of the sun. (laughs) The
1: year of the sun. And not because we had, like, the sun king on a throne or anything else. That was just a big year for the sun.
0: Yeah, this is a year that the phrase a healthy tan really comes into popular vernacular. And it is also the year that the world's first dedicated sun clinic is open in the Swiss Alps. Swiss Alps. I can't say that. <laughs> Open in the Swiss Alps by Dr. Auguste Rollier, who also wrote the book Heliotherapy about his son, the son's healing properties, in which he describes how patients should should really just dip their toes gradually into sun baths. Yeah, you wouldn't go to the clinic and just automatically get a deck chair. Yeah.
1: Like, you went there, and you would go there if you had, like, tuberculosis, um, Mm. external tuberculosis particularly, or or skin lesions. You would go out there, and first you would have, like, two weeks just in a room, in a bed, no windows. Then maybe you might get a window room. And then eventually they'd open the door outside, (sighs) and you'd see it. I mean, it took weeks of acclimating to this place before you were allowed to take a full sun bath. But then you published this book that sort of showed before and after pictures of before they show up and they are really pale and they don't look very good. And then you know they've got the tan and whether the they got tan. whether they got better or not, they looked better with the tan. So people were like, "Of course, this cures all ailments. Mm-hmm. This is what the way to go. Let us all take sun baths."
0: Well, it probably also helped but- that also in 1903. 1903- The year of the sun. (laughs) Uh, the Danish physician Niels Finsen is awarded the Nobel Prize for using artificial sunlight to cure tuberculosis of the skin. So we've got a Nobel Prize. We've got
1: sun clinics. There were, um, we found an excerpt from, uh, old parenting books of the Mm -hmm. time that said to put as soon as your kid was like a month old have them take all their naps outside yeah. so they could be in the sun and like first put them on one side and then roll them over. It sounded like those girls who set timers so that they get evenly, evenly baked. That's how they were talking about, uh, tanning babies. So it's, um, the year of the sun. Everyone wants to get in the sun. There are only a few small voices around the same time who are saying, have you ever noticed uh, that people who work outside all the time have some pretty gnarly skin lesions? Have you noticed the
0: seamen's neck?
1: Yeah, that they spe- specifically picked out sailors mm-hmm. and they picked out the grape pickers of Bordeaux who spent all day long picking grapes to make wine. They were like those grape pickers. They might be sick from the sun. <laughs> they some bad skin. But those people were the minority. Right now, right. The,
0: all the pages full of newspapers and magazines are like, sun, 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 sun. And then Miss Coco Chanel goes on a Riviera vacation in 1923 on the Duke of Westminster's yacht, which really, it, this kind of sounds like what I'm going to uh, venture off and do tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and she comes back to Paris with a tan. Yeah. An accidental tan. She did not I, mean
1: to get, yeah. in, like, laying out the way people say I'm going to go lay out in the sun was was a thing you did. But that's what she did, and accidentally she came back all colorful,
0: and people were like, whoa. Whoa, oh, Coco. If Coco I can do it, that. that's pretty fashionable. And all of a sudden, tanning becomes the rage. And uh, Style.com noted that the first tanned face appeared in British Vogue four years later and they link it to that's 1927 yeah and so they link all of that back to her Coco Chanel's Riviera vacation and accidental tan so
1: in the early parts of the 1900s let's review we've got the health Mm -hmm. we've got the fashion yes how else are you going to fight it I mean that is what you do is you get a tan and people start having more money to go to the beach Uh and take vacations like I said uh, thinness is in so you're doing a lot of outdoor activity Mm -hmm. exercising playing tennis all these leisure sports that are outside so you're getting sun that way uh, makeup starts to help us uh, be tan. Like for example, when they did Cleopatra in 1963, they had all these bronzers mm-hmm. and um brown tinted powders that they could make up Elizabeth Taylor with, so she looked like she was from Egypt. So uh, you know, it, uh, really helped us uh, make tanning and the thing to do. I mean, I can remember my mother and aunt talking about going tanning when they oh, were yeah. when they were younger. And sunless tanning happens in 1978 when we've got the modern day sunbed. Right. So. We have just got uh invention after uh you know innovation helping us tan, and it's not until the eighties, late 70s and 80s, that we start to hear this doesn't this doesn't seem to be so good long term.
0: Yeah, this all kinda happens um in quick succession. In nineteen seventy-nine, we have the invention of the modern-day sunbed by <laughs> A German scientist named Friedrich Wolf, who is called the, quote unquote, father of indoor tanning. I just thought that was a funny, funny title. Who knew that indoor tanning had a so father? So maybe he's the father and Coco Chanel is the mother yes. of outdoor tanning? Yes. And their babies are brown, uh, carcinoma, <laughs> skin cells, squamous carcinoma. And cancer. So, uh, and the funny thing is, though, this guy wasn't setting out to help uh, people just get tanner for mm-hmm. for fashion reasons. He stumbled on the invention of the tanning bed while testing the effects of UV light on athletes because he thought that it might somehow make them perform better. And you know what he found? They don't necessarily perform better. Yeah, they don't they do anything. They sure look better. But they look great on the field, but then. Uh, only a few years later in the 80s, the FDA developed its first regulations on SPF rating. And in 1986, SPF is officially born. And, you know, I think from then on out, I mean, that's essentially, you know, we've been alive for that much time, Kristen. Mm-hmm. And,
1: i you know, I can't remember a time when anyone thought getting sunburned was good. Right. I mean, not only did it hurt, but you would, you know, instantly hear, oh, man, you're going to get cancer. Right. Um, but we know this. Yeah. And, you know, the great pickers in Bordeaux knew it really early on. So why do we still do it? That's a little... I mean, we can't answer this question definitively. Mm-hmm. We'll ask all of our listeners, as always, to help us try and figure out why people do this. But why would you still want a tan when you know it's bad for you? Um, do we still have this sort of, you know, history in the back of our mind that a tan equals healthy? That seems to be what a lot of people think, that yeah. they, they look better, and it's better to look better now than to be sick later. I mean, maybe it's you can't... uh you can't evaluate the consequences when cancer is a long-term thing and mm-hmm. looking really great in a prom dress or a formal dress is a, a near-term thing. That might be one one reason.
0: Yes, and I do plan to wear my old prom dress to work <laughs> when I come back, Dan.
1: But think of, I mean, have you ever been in the vicinity of a tanning salon near prom?
0: Oh, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm not going to lie, Molly. In high school, I distinctly remember my senior year, Popping by the tanning bed. Kristen, what did your mother say about that? It was weird. Me and a couple of my girlfriends went through a strange tanning bed phase, which seems very uncharacteristic. And today, just, just to give you an idea of how much, especially teen girls love tanning beds. Time magazine estimates that 2.3 million visit tanning salons at least once a year. And indoor tanning is a $5 billion a year industry and there are questions of whether we need to restrict
1: it obviously mm-hmm. there's been a lot of questions in certain states about whether you can ban it uh especially for younger people but sometimes if you need parental permission uh, mm-hmm. on those bands the people the parents will, will sign off on it so uh you know the the health uh, public health people are just like we don't know how to stop something that people enjoy right uh yet can be so dangerous for them.
0: Yeah, and just to give you an idea, too, of the the very real health consequences, um, the incidence of melanoma, which is the most lethal form of skin cancer, has doubled in the U.S. among, get this, among women ages 15 to 29. And that's the prime tanning salon demo right yeah. there, you know. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, since 1975, oh, the skin cancer rate has doubled.
1: You know what I found really interesting is uh, the Body Project, which is at Bradley University mm-hmm. in Illinois, which talks a lot about ways in which uh, girls, women uh, alter their bodies to fit certain beauty ideals. Mm-hmm. Listed tanning on their list of body modification things. I mean, yeah. put it right up there with something like foot binding, put it up there with, you know, um, cosmetic surgery. All these things we think of as. Really extreme. They're saying tanning is right up there with it in terms of things we do to fit in or to look our best. And, uh, you know, it could, I'm, I'm a pale person. So I err on the side of the sun is going to kill me. Right. But that's very much the opposite again of how they sold tanning to the, to the
0: masses way back when. Yeah. It seems, it does seem like, you know, such a just pleasant, pleasant, pastime that happens in the summer, you just lay out, you get a suntan and you look fabulous. But uh, the World Health Organization in 2009 actually placed tanning beds, kind of to go along with what you said about the body project, placed tanning beds on its list of the most cancer-causing substances alongside arsenic, asbestos, and mustard gas. <laughs> mustard <laughs> gas. Mustard gas. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, you know, we did a little bit of reading about the psychology of people who tan when we were getting ready for this. And, you know, they do survey after survey where people say, I know the risks. I want to do it anyway Mm -hmm. because it makes me feel good. It makes me look good. I feel healthier when I'm tan. And that leads a lot of people to say maybe there is such a thing as a tanning addiction. Tanarexia, Tanarexia. been termed. And I want to point out that howstuffworks.com has an article on this phenomenon. Can you get addicted to tanning? Ah. That you can check out if you want to get in depth on this issue. But they're saying, I mean, like, it's the same thing with cigarettes. We know cigarettes mm-hmm. are bad, but some people still smoke them. We know tanning is bad. We still go to tanning beds. And when they've questioned these adults, they have very real symptoms of withdrawal. And,
0: uh, and they're jonesing for their next tan. Yeah, and they think that it might be this idea of tanorexia. Um, and I also would like to note that Time Magazine also used the made up word bronzitude. <laughs> I'm talking about women who enjoy tanning. Um, but they think that, that this tanning addiction might be linked to body dysmorphic disorder because a lot of the women, and it's all, it's largely focused on women. Yeah. Um, exhibit low self-esteem, body distortion, and, uh, may also have undiagnosed depression and anxiety issues. And that makes sense. I
1: mean, I don't, I haven't read enough to say yes or no on this, but it makes sense that if you're feeling bad about your body, this mm-hmm. is a quick way to fix it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think they look skinnier when they're tan. Mm-hmm. You you know, your skin, it looks, you know, can clear up acne for some people. Yeah. So I can see how this is a really easy fix. And if you are depressed about your body, this this is a quick way to solve it. But, you know, then we just have to deal with a short-term fix versus a long-term
0: consequence. And one thing that might drive this addiction, and some people have said, this is not an addiction. This is like the media kind of making something up, and this is a, a scare piece. But... Uh, some researchers also think that UV exposure might promote endorphin release. So if you're getting that endorphin release when you go to the tanning bed, it could very well kick off an addictive pattern mm-hmm. because you, your body likes that. It wants more of it. You go through withdrawal if you don't get it. So you gotta go back and bake some more. But think about those people who say they have seasonal affective
1: disorder when the sun doesn't shine. Yes. I mean, it cycles back around to where, yeah, you do need some level of sun to maintain mental health. Uh, which is not exactly the same argument that they were making in 1903. But, you know, they got us out in the sun on a health argument. Mm-hmm. And people have, you know, figured out that you can't just live your entire life indoors. You'll get seasonal affective disorder, maybe. Um So it's finding that balance. Right. And I think that's really interesting that... Um, in some ways, health will get us outside, but it's not getting us back inside as maybe as quickly as we need to be inside.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong. None of these doctors are saying like the outdoors is, is bad for you. Um, there's also a dermatologist who was quoted in, in Time magazine saying that, uh, we're hardwired to look at color as a sign of health and attractiveness and potential part, a good partner to mate with. So she traces it back to All the way. evolution. Yeah. So she doesn't know about those ladies who are painting their faces white. Well, I mean, we kind of talked about this too, like with lip color and things like yeah. that. Why do we, why do we put on rouge? as uh, a sign of, of health and, and youth and vigor, vim <laughs> and vigor. And if you, if you have money, the blue line is a sign of that. I'm gonna start rocking that. Let's we'll start painting our faces with blue lines. Do I look rich yet, Molly? <laughs> but the one <laughs> tanning theory that blew my mind Even more so than this, the origin of blue blood. Death. Death. Tanning's linked to death. Ooh. And I'm not talking about skin cancer. I'm talking about in your brain. Perhaps tanning is the way that we grapple with our own mortality.
1: Yeah, this is one. Um, I'll be interested to see if anyone has any thoughts on this one. This is yes. from a Psychology Today blog called Death, Love, Sex, Magic by Clay Routledge. And he's saying, yeah, uh, he, he brings up that mustard gas thing. The World Health Organization has made an equivalent out of a tanning bed and mustard gas. <laughs> so we know that tanning beds are these instruments of death. Yes. Yeah, we still go in them. And it's somehow we, by uh, going into a tanning bed, we subdue the death. Because yes. we come out with this beautiful tan, which again is only beautiful because of, you know, Vogue and, and things like that. And, uh, and that is a way
0: for us to psychologically deal with our impending death. Yeah. He's, it's all based off this thing called threat management theory. And it's this, uh, psychological framework that explores how we maybe use different dangerous, high risk, activities such as smoking or obsessively tanning uh, that we know are bad for us. But it's a way of just like challenging, challenging death, essentially, of saying
1: laughing oh, in the face. Yeah,
0: of it. I'll do this anyway. Yeah. Death.
1: Take, so take that death. <laughs> so, Kristen, after talking about this for 15 to 20 minutes and knowing that when you go to the beach, you have the opportunity to laugh in the face of death mm. by not reapplying your sunscreen, uh, you know, every every. So often.
0: I wear sunscreen. I'm and not did, d- I'm not going to not wear sunscreen. No, I know. But, you know,
1: if you c- there's a, di- a difference between being diligent about reapplying right. or maybe just, you know, letting it go a little there longer. I mean, there were kids, they were talking about kids who, when tanning became really fashionable, would put motor oil on themselves <laughs> to, like, improve their tan. I'm not saying you're going to put motor oil on yourself and literally cook yourself. I typically yourself. use Crisco
0: <laughs> myself.
1: But when you are lying on that beach, are you going to be laughing
0: in the face of death? Are you going to be managing your threats? Um, I'm going to be managing a margarita <laughs> and um, and pondering everything you just learned in this episode. Molly, I will. I'll do this for you. I will take care of my skin. I will reapply when I should. Okay. I will- I, I'm not going to not be able to wear sunscreen now because I'm going to have a little Molly on my shoulder and a dermatologist. <laughs> That's my third okay. role. <laughs> the Molly on my shoulder. You know.
1: Put, put me on your one shoulder and your mom on the other and so, with our forces combined. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm never going to leave that. You will never, ever get any sun. Get just enough to, to be healthy. Just enough. So
0: we hope that you have enjoyed this Tanning History podcast. We should also note that we plan to follow up with a skin lightening Episode because if you go over to the other side of the world in India, Vietnam, other South Asian countries, there they're not looking for a tan. They want to lighten their skin. That's yep. the vogue. So, so we'll it's get to different, that. In, different in different cultures as yeah. most
1: things are. So, we welcome your thoughts on tanning. How can we stop it when it's dangerous, but yet people want to do it? Do you do it? What do you think? Et cetera. Mm-hmm. We can have this conversation via email, momstuffathustforks.com, or have the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. And in the meantime, well, let's read an email. All right. This is one on an old podcast, uh, but a good podcast that I liked, about cord blood. Oh, yes. And it's from our listener, Amy, who writes... I wanted to let you know that you missed an option about core blood banking, and that is donation for research. A friend of mine has Huntington's disease, so when I was pregnant with my first child, I did some research online and found out that the University of South Florida was doing research on Huntington's with stem cells. I contacted them via email, and they put me in touch with the right people to donate my baby's core blood. The kit was free, as was the shipping. All I had to do was get my doctor's signature on the application and bring the collection kit to the hospital. The collection didn't work out for my first child, but I was successfully able to donate my second and third children's cord blood. It makes me proud that my kids started helping others on the very day they were born. And I hope that somehow our donation has helped the research that is being conducted at the University of South Florida. Florida.
0: It's very cool. I've got an email here from Anna and this is in response to our episode on flight attendants and she taught English in Japan and the company she worked for also offered a course called cabin attendant English because uh, cabin attendant is what they refer to as flight attendants. But she writes that only the male teachers were permitted to teach these classes so that the flight attendants could get accustomed to speaking with foreign men. However, some former flight attendants chose to take our reg- regular classes, which is how I got to meet them. These women are all beautiful and quite sharp, but many expressed that they became cabin attendants because they didn't want to get married r- right away and because they wanted some independence. In every case, they seemed wistful about their sky-high adventures, and most of them admitted that they were only taking English classes because they missed speaking with new people. And she notes in Japan, the majority of the women still quit their jobs upon marrying and give up most of their independence instead of focusing on homemaking and raising children. In many ways, the guidelines for early female flight attendants in the U.S. holds true for Japanese cabin attendants. They misfit physical requirements, can only be of a certain age, and marriage and children are barriers to continuing their careers a lot of women only last about 5 years in the job however it is something young girls aspire to because it allows them to maintain an independent lifestyle for longer before marrying and the money is good so thank you for that insight on flight attendants in Japan from Anna and thank you to all of you who have written in and shared many fascinating facts and stories with us again our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com and you can always hit us up on Facebook we'd love you to like us over there and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and lastly you can go to our blog during the week it's stuff mom never told you from howstuffworks.com